Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wild Ones Podcast, episode 19. I'm Francis. This is Jimmy, and this is the show where we chat about bike stuff. People are angry with us, Jimmy. Very angry. They're angry because we don't... We don't introduce producer Emily at the start of the podcast, but she's the one writing the intros and she doesn't put herself in. Who's she? Cat's mother. Cat's mother. That's an old person thing. Mm. That's the sort of thing like my grandmother used to say. Straight off my head. So yeah, so from this podcast, Emily is no longer with us. We've sacked her because she's caused, caused a controversy. I've caused my own controversy. I think people think that it's you guys oppressing me or something like that. For clarity, I don't want to be introduced. This is not my show. Um, and I just, I want the freedom to be able to chip in as little as possible sometimes. Cause it's quite hard. If I'm talking to you, I'm not focusing on, I try to like live edit this as we go. I work out which bits are going in and which bits aren't going in, which makes the edit easier at the end. And if I'm talking, it's harder to do that. So, um, this is the Francis and Jimmy show and I will chip in as much as I want. Thank you very much. What I've just learned is Emily actually censors us and removes bits of the podcast that she thinks that are not funny or appropriate that's or outrageous. entertaining all of it's funny and entertaining unbelievable that's what i thought so if there's ever a moment where anyone thinks that i'm controversial or miserable or boring it's actually all in the edit and it's nothing to do with me i'm permanently happy and entertaining. you should see the bits i take out jimmy <laughs> you should see the bit she's added she's been getting ai voices yeah. of us yeah and putting it over the top of our faces yeah do you know the name of the current national hill climb champion uh no andrew feather that's a very good name for a hill climber isn't it? it it's so good i think it would be considered cheating it's like ben swift and connor swift do you think that's real like surely if you're doing a hill climb you don't have to show id and if you were like good at hill climbing <laughs> that's the kind of thing where i'd be like right i'm i'm jimmy cloud well, you need id you have to get do you need a british cycling license to do no maybe you don't if lance armstrong was a rower that would be cheating as well armstrong or a swimmer. Or a swimmer. Or a power lifter. True. So Andrew Feather is a three-time British National Hill Climb champ. Congratulations. He's been in the news this week because he's back at the National Hill Climb, which we're going to, to defend his title on a disc brake bike. 
Uh oh. Which is upsetting all of the weight weenies. Impossible for him to be able to win that on a disc bike. <laughs> He's going to be riding a Cannondale Super 6 Evo, presumably because it's a sponsor deal. Um, that's speculation. He's clearly not obsessing over every weight saving. He doesn't chop his handlebars down because uh, he uses the bike for other rides other than hill climbing. And he's going to be riding with a rotor power meter, which is not a super light crank either. I've got a lot of respect for this. What, just normal bike? Yeah. Rock this, up on a normal bike. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? This, that's like not how it should be. There are there are no rules and it's fine to make hill climbing bikes and it's quite fun. I've I've been due to make a hill climbing bike out of a steel bike for a long time now and I've never got around to it. I actually have an entrance to the National Hill Climb. You're supposed to be working that day. But we're working, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to forego oh, no. for another year. I'll just have to take the oh. title next year and officially defer, defer. legally fine, change yeah. my name to Cloud Boy by that point. Well, and then he'd be in trouble, wouldn't he? Because you'd be so fast. Yeah. I no, I think I think that's cool. It pro- uh I know for a fact that Cannondale have sponsored other hill climb champions in the past, so it is possible that it's some kind of sponsorship deal. And I'm gonna I I do not know this is speculation, but I will guess that Cannondale don't do a rim brake bike anymore. But rim brake or disc brake, this guy races hill climbs on proper bikes, not hill climbing bikes. So even if it was rim brake, it's still gonna be a disadvantage to someone that's already in a proper hill climb bike. So it doesn't really matter that it's disc brake or not. It's still going to be incredibly light. How many people do you think will be on disc brakes in this hill climb? Bear in mind, the it's 650 riders I are doing this. I think about half now. I, I think more. Because I think a lot of people will be on newish bikes. Yeah, yeah. And the cost of making a proper, proper hill climbing bike is just like astronomical. How many people do you think will be on light bikes? In inverted commas. Uh, 37. People. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I bet, I bet there'll be 100 people who have really considered and built a bike to be, to be super light for this. But it's, it's quite hard to be able to judge that. So, for example, Chris Hall, our mate, is doing the hill climb. He's doing it on a complete bike, but he has done lots of stuff to that bike so that it's like six kilos or just under six kilos or something rather. I would consider that making it super light. That's yes. This is exactly what he's done. But you would look at it and it look like a normal bike. Mm-hmm. So you'd put your, st- your statistics would be very hard to achieve. Mm-hmm. But would it be very practical riding anywhere else because he's put a mountain bike crank on it? Oh, is he? So no is the answer. Easy. Very tiny chainring. Easy to change though. Isn't Easy it? to change. Easy to change. So like for people who don't know, hill climbs are massive in the UK. It's essentially an individual TT, individual time trial from the bottom of the hill to the top of a hill most of them, well, they vary in length, but a hill climb specialist generally is really good at doing one minute to two minute power because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the climbs in the UK are that long. The struggle hill climb, which is the national event this year, it changes location every year, is significantly longer. I think it's like 10 minutes. I mean, we rode it and we were just pootling along. And we were 20 minutes. It was, I think it was even probably maybe even, even longer. Or we were messing around filming. But it's a really long climb with a descent in the middle. And the, the first bit's really steep. The last bit's really steep. But it really undulates during the, during the ride. Do you want some numbers? Yeah. So numbers. the official Strava segment is four kilometers long, 349 meters of elevation, which makes it 8.2% average. The current com is held by... Welsh boy, Ed Laverack. La- How do you say his surname? Laverack. 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 Ed Laverack. The current male com is 
11 minutes and 19 seconds. I think Andrew Feather is going to have problems with Ed Laverick. Not problems. They're not going to have a fight. They're going to have a fight. Have a have a cyclist fight. They're the best. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I think Andrew Feather might win the fight. Do you? Yeah, based on purely how they look. But I think Ed Laverick's going to beat him up the hill. Do you? Because Ed Laverick is extremely good at that power duration. Yeah. So he's a super light guy. He's like 60 kilos. His power numbers are astronomical, like pushing 400 watts for 20 minutes. Yeah. Like nearly, nearly. He's ex-pro, isn't he? Yeah. He used to race for Rafa Condor, maybe a different JLT Condor. Yeah. Um, he was racing at the same time. Just just when I stopped, he had started um, in that same sort of level. And he's now he's full-time YouTube, full-time YouTuber and cycling coach. I think um, he's got some great videos. So there'll be a link in the description down below. I messaged him saying, just wondering, what's your best ever 20 minute power? And he said, I could probably do it now at a push at the weight I am now, which is 60. Um, because obviously I'm training for the struggle, which is like 12 minutes. So if I'm doing like 7.3, 430, 425 watts for 12, then. I would imagine I could do 400 for 20 if I, if I can hang on. I'll be honest, all I I, I kind of it was like that the hangover moment, and it was just numbers and. Based on that, I think Andrew Feather might have his workout. Well, Ed is the current. He's got the KOM, holder, so he he knows what he's up against. He's also spending a week there right now. Acclimatizing before the right now is it next week? No, he's he's there for a week before. Climatizing yeah. to the altitude and the temperature of, of Kendall or wherever it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Ambleside, I believe. Yeah. I reckon, I mean, it's a hard, it, it's, it, because it's not power the whole time. There's that weird little descent in the middle. It's, it's very quick. I wonder if you'd get in an aero tuck and Ch check this out. And if you want to know what the climb looks like, go and watch the Cade Media video <laughs> of Francis and I riding in the Lake District. From earlier this year, it's Riding a great the climb, video. Much slower than Ed <laughs> and Andrew Fever. Yeah, good luck to them both. Uh, hopefully, we'll see them at the hill climb. Yep, in a couple of weeks' time. And we should definitely get a tally of rim break versus disc break. Definitely, mm. that was Emily's suggestion. Shimano is facing a lawsuit now over its broken cranks. This is the latest news in the Holotech crank set recall, which we've spoken about in a podcast before. Uh, a proposed class action lawsuit has been filed against Shimano, Specialized, and Trek in the USA. Class action means? It's on behalf of a group. I.e. all of the people that own one of these cranks. The lawsuit alleges that Shimano was aware for years that its crank sets had issues. It also alleges that the crank set recall is inadequate. And by that not recalling all of the Holotech crank sets, Shimano's trying to limit the cost of fixing the issue at the expense of consumers. It claims that Shimano and other bike brands fraudulently concealed the defective crank sets and sold them anyway. <sighs> this is uh, um, a lot to unpack. That sounds weird to me, but is that because they're American companies and this is an American so they, suing, so they can more, go after them. Yeah, ones. they can go after them. I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's an American lawsuit. Uh, the class action is is for anyone who's owned one of these cranks in the US. And I'm guessing it's because Trek and Specialized are also US brands. 
So it won't really affect any of us. Although, you know, sometimes if if their lawsuit is successful, there might be a knock-on effect. There might be replications in other countries. Mm-hmm. So currently, riders who have a Holotech crank uh, from the years specified, I have got the information here, they have to take it to an authorized dealer for inspection. We talked about what that expe- inspection entailed in a previous podcast with Mechanic Nick, who runs a bike shop. It's basically a visual inspection and listening for a noise. Crank sets showing no signs of separation don't qualify for a replacement. The lawsuit also alleges this will leave riders in the frightening position of having to ride a dangerous bicycle for months or years, waiting for their crank sets to separate and potentially causing a crash before Shimano will give them a new one. It's asking for defendants to admit the cranks are defective and to reimburse all customers who've been left out of pocket due to defective cranks. Do you think that would be catastrophic for Shimano and they wouldn't have enough money? Or do you think Shimano are a big enough business to absorb that kind of cost? Well, Francis, I've done a bit of background on this. (laughs) Have you actually? I have, yeah. (laughs) All right. That's what I was doing when you guys are actually preparing for the podcast. Hmm. Okay, so Shimano... Uh, is a very big business. They're based in Japan. They have multiple parts of the business, like, for example, they have fishing and loads of other stuff. Uh, Their annual revenue in the region, or for the last few years, has been in the region of $5 billion. So they're a very large business, and in the group set space are just astronomically huge. Uh, They typically have a profit in the region of about a billion dollars, so they have a very, very healthy profit margin. Mm -hmm. Um, in the last five years, their share price is down. They are, sorry, in the last five years, their share price is up. Their share price is down since COVID. But interestingly, since this news has come out, their share price is up 1%. So this news as a whole has not scared investors. So financially, no one thinks that this is a big impact for Shimano as a business. So to put that into a little bit of context, if there's 2.8, 2.8 million cranks that apparently this is affects, if it costs them $300 per crank to fix every single one crank, of every single one of those cranks, which I assure you it costs a lot less than that, that would be $840 million. So in one year, if it costs them $300 to replace every single affected cranks, they would still be profitable. Which it wouldn't because it doesn't cost them that much. Exactly. Great so, analysis, Jimmy. Mm. They're ultimately trying, they're, they're a publicly traded business, so they want money left over for shareholders. That's just the objective of publicly traded businesses, ultimately. So they're effectively just trying to reduce the exposure, the financial exposure to making this go away. But if they had to fully replace everything, they're still fine. It reminds me of that bit in Fight Club where the lead character who works for a car company um, explains that if the price of a recall is more than the cost of paying out insurance claims after horrible crashes, then they don't do the recall. It arguably is that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's business. That's how it's being approached. Like, mm. there's an issue. How do we make that issue go away as cheap as possible? Yeah. There's another part to this though, isn't there? And that's what, that mentality does to um, consumer trust in brand Mm -hmm. and like brand damage. I have to say as well, though, it is hard knowing they obviously don't want to finish a financial year with uh, a significantly lower, you know, like a 90% lower 
profit than previous years, but they can absorb it if they need to. But a lot of, pro- well, I would imagine a lot of their decision will be based on what um, the response is. So like if, for example, they've, they've said, this is what we're going to do. If everyone had gone like, oh yeah, cool. That's amazing. Thanks. Then they're going to go, excellent, cool, achieved. But that hasn't happened. So I'm willing to bet that they are going to be comfortable adjusting that. But we'll see. They've given it a try. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, well, you know, we think this is a reasonable um, option because you have to remember with products, like, for example, the car industry is a, is, is a great example of it. Like, those products kill people. That's part of the business. Like, as savage as that is, that is part of the business. Mm. There's cars that fail, and as a result of them failing, people die. But that's literally part of that industry. Like, they know that that happens as a result of some of their, their failures. Have you got a Shimano crank from those years? Uh, yes. Do you have it on a bike currently? Yes. Are you now hesitant to ride it? Not really. It's the bike that is going to become my hill climb bike. Oh. That's probably my most ridden crank of all the cranks I own. It's Granted, it doesn't get ridden anymore, or it hasn't for a couple of years, and it, it's been fine. I'm, you know, like... We're not heavy riders. The only person I know that goes through Shimano cranks like glasses of water is an absolute brute of a cyclist. Rory. Rory the Viking. (laughs) You know, he's... I thought it was more about corrosion and uh, bad weather riding. But surely it requires... Well, I don't don't know. I I, I probably... Do you know what? I tell you what I would do. I would probably still ride it. Yeah. And I would stay in the saddle. You feel safe doing that. Yeah. I've got one. I'd be hesitant. I, I was put doubt in my mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to find a dealer? Well, I don't know where the dealers are. I, I found out that Nick is, uh, you were chatting about it in the la- last podcast. I think what you mean is Nick has found out he's not an Nick has found dealer. out he's not an authorized Shimano dealer, which is some sort of scheme where a bike shop has to pay um, or a mechanic has to pay an amount of money for the year to be an author. <laughs> authorized shimano dealer yeah and nick's not one of those he just sells shimano mm. so he, you can't get your crank uh looked at by him inspected by him i'd have to go somewhere else and that's really annoying so probably not also it's i think i think my crank's fine i'm definitely gonna get mine done i just need to find out who can take it mm. do it there'll be someone in town i guess but well, there must be in the whole of newcastle it'd be annoying if there wasn't i have a video idea we should get both of your cranks and actually go through the inspection process and film what it's like. Secret f- secret camera. Well, not even secret, no. Yeah, it's fun though, isn't it? It's not secret anymore. It makes it more yeah. fun when it's a secret camera, doesn't it? We'll put disguises on. This is a great idea. You come up with the best ideas. But see what it's like. But also, how would you feel if at the end of it they go, yeah, it's fine? Would you? F- would that be enough to be like, okay, I feel reassured now? No. Would you be able to sell that crank a, on a, a with long, someone else? It's, it's how long you ride the crank for, isn't it? If they're all made the same, they're all going to... They're all predisposed to this issue or there's a risk of this issue happening which makes me think if i'm riding you like you're doing risky stuff on a bike sometimes you know you're sprinting out of corners and if you're, you're on a descent you don't want your i've seen you know for example i've seen someone's chain come off on a descent you could die you could go off the edge of a cliff and you could die if your crank snapped same sort of thing you're putting down full power and suddenly something breaks you, you get in big trouble 
literally Big trouble. I think I, that's the whole point of this lawsuit, isn't it? Mm. I, I have actually just found the authorized dealer search function on the Shimano website, mm. and within a hundred kilometers of this location, there are fifty plus dealers. Oh, that's a one of which is Recycle Bike. Sweet. So we can go to Recycle Bike and. Well, actually, no, it's not wasting their time because they're going to get paid for it. There are some national bu- national businesses that are on the list as well. Oh, they get like 50 quid or something for doing the inspection. It's, you know, it's £34 or something like that. I saw some uh, mechanics on Facebook because kind of weird Facebook pages that I follow. And they were that one of them was very concerned about, is it fair that mechanics are being asked to do this inspection when it, all it is is a visual in inspection it's not it's not like they're x-raying it or looking inside the crank and would liability fall on them if something went wrong in the future with that crank and apparently someone was replying in the car, another mechanic saying like no the owner still does lie on shimano and yeah, they're, yeah. they're protected in some way which is yeah. good good to query that as a mechanic, I, I, I i hope shimano just replace them all i'd want my crank replaced after hearing all of the horror stories no well we should definitely get down recycle your bike and take hours down. And see what they say. Yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> let's I think that's do. a good idea. Yombo Visma apparently have a different name. They're going to become Visma Lisa Bike in 2024. Whoa. What? Lisa. Like Lisa Simpson. Lease a bike. Like rent a bike. Oh, lease. lease yeah. As in to lease, lease a bike. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, they've changing names. So like many cycling teams, their name is their sponsor yeah which is a weird setup isn't it i've never liked that there's a few people who do it differently techers okay it's small uk team legion they're just called legion and their sponsors change sometimes i think i think at the level both of those examples are at though you can do what you want it's just like us starting the wild one cycling club tour de tdt what's the it's the tour de Tamer cycling team conti team they are like TDT something. It's it's a shame, really, that teams change like that. My opinion is that because of this, it is so hard to get behind a team. Yeah, and it's it's not even that you know like fo- football, like football, rugby, American football, all of those kind of sports. Like, yes, they're geographical, but it's almost not even about it being geographical. Like, how many people did you go to school with that support like Liverpool or Man United, and they have no connection to those at all? They're just like backing the team. But what is consistent is a color um, and a name. And I think it's so important and I wish it would come through into cycling somehow. One of the things that we always used to do with Atticus and, and, and sponsoring teams and things like that is we would always push back. So if we were involved in something significant where the traditional thing, and we were sponsoring that team as the kit supplier, um, the old school thing is, well, we'll cover the kit in sponsors. And we would go, no. We are the kit, suspon- the, the kit supplier. We are going to make a kit that looks fantastic and it is not a place for other brands. If other brands are involved, then that's their space. And what that enabled us to do is to create stuff that just looks and feels cool rather than looking like a billboard that people go, ugh. Then you're stuck with companies that want to sponsor the team that don't have a cycling-specific product and not being able to advertise very well, though. There's always ways to advertise. Be creative. Mm. But they want people want the finish line photo, don't they, with little whatever written on. Does it really matter if Werner Ladders 
have the name Werner on the side of a jersey and a little bit of font on the side? No. However, if you did a promo where they're cycling up ladders, you're going to remember it. <laughs> I would watch that. That would be good. Uh, Lisa Bike is a PON-owned leasing company. PON, oh. P-O-N. It's the company, the parent company that owns Cervelo. And everything else. Focus. Other things. <laughs> Volkswagen, Audi, Seat, Skoda. Oh, damn. They, <laughs> they own a lot of stuff. Monger. Cycling to them is like a little... I bet it's. I bet the founders or the owners of Pond are cyclists and it's just for a little bit of fun on the side based on their portfolio. But potentially. Potentially. Um, but they're... So they're... I mean, Cervelo is their existing... Cervelo's... A lot of their budget has gone now... I mean, they've dropped ambassadors. Um, so they seem to be focusing a lot on the pro cycling team, mm-hmm. which is now changed name. But we'll see. Actually, yeah, if, 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 if a PON group is one of the primary sponsors, then they are definitely spending a lot of money on that. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure, maybe it was on that Netflix documentary, I, I'm sure the budget for Yumba Visma is like 50 million. And a lot of that's going to come from headline sponsors. So, wow. We should point out before we end this segment that the name change of the team has not been confirmed by the team. So this is speculation at this point. My favorite kind of news. (laughs) Now on to our big question of the day. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What bike stuff have you wasted the most money on? Through the years. Oh, God, where, where haven't I wasted <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind is stems. Always trying to find the right fit and get the right distance. Different points of like when I used to race and when I didn't used to race. Like there was a point when I used to race and I had a 130 stem and my position was unbelievably long and therefore it was more aero. And now I ride 90 maybe even 80 on stuff. I've bought so many stems trying different riding positions and things like that over the, over the years. And then you end up with just this collection of stems and eventually you have to get rid of them. Or keep them and then you can change again. The annoying thing that I also find in that space is not so much anymore, but at that point I liked, I had an interest in how much my bike weighed and I had an interest in the quality of the product. So you have this like, because obviously once you use it, you're not going to be able to return it. So there's this kind of idea of like, right, I want to try a 90 mil stem rather than 110. Do I go straight in on the one that costs £100 or do I buy one for £15 to try it and then maybe buy a £100 one later? 
Like what, 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 what's it, what's it like? I've always thought, I wish you could like borrow stuff, borrow more things, test stuff. You can. Well, how? Go on. From my me. friends. Well, what if they don't have what you want? I'd be like, Jake, can I borrow a stem? And what if he doesn't have the one Everyone's you want? got stems. <laughs> All my friends are cyclists. <laughs> Everyone's got loads of stems. And I had loads of stems. And then you just swap stems. You know what this reminds me yeah, of? Pokemon cards. That guy on GCN when he randomly pulled a Dura-Ace crank I'm out of sorry, his, out of some people are in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I would lend you a stem. Despite you making fun of me, I would lend you a stem. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the logical thing, if you don't have friends with loads of stems, is to just buy a 10-pound stem from the internet on like Planet X or whatever make sure it's the right length, try it, and then you haven't spent loads of money. And then buy the carbon one when you want it. But then you've Actually, also- you don't even need a carbon stem. Like aluminium stems, outrageously light. I've, I've never bought carbon stems. No. I've always used- Unnecessary. There was actually a Dada one, which was lighter than carbon stems. It was like 90 grams yeah, or something, rather. but alloy. But it was like 220 quid. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, bought, really I bought expensive. one and I've- Moved it from bike to bike to bike ever since. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Get your money's worth. Yeah. Uh, my thing, I spent a lot of money on drivetrain since meeting Nick Vieri from the bike shop, who insists on taking people on gravel rides, which I think this is, this is a conspiracy. He takes people on gravel rides, not on gravel, but on mud. So it's basically cross-country mountain bike, but everyone's riding gravel bikes. And I'd take my mountain bike with me. But honestly, a month to six weeks of riding, new jockey wheels, new chain, new cassette. This is all his ploy as a... Everything just gets... It's like grinding paste. It's so much mud. It just gets completely wrecked. People don't understand how quickly you wear through stuff. In fact, there was a comment on a video of Nick talking about his how many jockey wheels he gets through a year. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I get through two sets a year. And someone was like, two sets a year, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you clearly haven't ridden with Nick <laughs> or seen the riding he does. He doesn't easily get through two sets of jockey wheels a year. I'm surprised it isn't six sets. It's, it's, it's called- He commutes all the time and you ride like- We call it Vieri Gravel. Yeah, Vieri Gravel. It's a special thing. Do you ever get served a reel on Instagram or ever other social media plan, uh, platform you're on where it's like, I don't know, someone driving a car off the side of a cliff or something, brother? Yes. You know, where something tr like ins like ridiculous happens, like there's a mudslide and then there's a load of people at the bottom of it thinking they're going to get like obliterated by like a avalanche or something like that. Every time I see something like that, which is not that often, I send it to Nick with the letters VG for Vieri Gravel. I just, I send him one of your gravel rides. We both do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> VG, just Vieri Gravel from now on. VG. Vieri Gravel. His other thing is uh, he calls smooth gravel, he calls it London Grav. I think that became a thing in an attempt to wind me up personally. Mm. And then he got everyone to start calling it London Gravel or vegan gravel. Yeah. Moving on to stuff, other things that you wasted money on. One, uh, Nick's caused this hap to happen as well. Dropper posts. Yeah, I bought a dropper post. You bought a dropper post for, for your gravel bike. Yes, for my very gravel specific gravel bike. Mm -hmm. And... I just, it's just pointless. You don't use it? No. And then I'm like, and I'm like Nick, I'm going to get rid of the, of the dropper. He's like, no, you're going to need it for the rides with me. And I'm just like, but like, for what? He's like, you know, going downhill. I'm like, I go downhill slow. He's like, yeah, but you're just going to need it. I'm like, I don't. He just convinced me to buy a 650 quid dropper post 
for no reason. And I thought it was, I thought <laughs> it's not even a cheap one. I it's thought, not even cheap. No, it's, bloody, it's the, the standard one. thing. Get the as a test, just get the cheap version. But well, actually, it isn't. It isn't justified. I was going to say, but he did give me a carbon seat post for free, which he had lying around to replace it. But that means I've just bought a six hundred and fifty pound carbon seat post. Where's the Where's the dropper? Well, I still have it. Oh, I'm too scared to get rid of it now in case I do want it. <laughs> I have to keep it now because it'll, it'll come around that I that I want it. I've never ridden a dropper on a gravel bike because I have a seat post that doesn't allow that. It's not round. But on a mountain bike, cross country mountain bike, dropper is an insanely good upgrade. However, if you've never ridden a dropper before, it does take a lot of getting used to. Mm. It's very strange not having even just that saddle, being able to lean on it and kind of. When, when while you're descending, having that there and you're touching it makes a big difference. Yeah. And then that being gone is like, oh, it takes it gets a good few rides to get the hang of it, and then you start realizing how much freedom it gives you on a descent. Yeah, I still don't want it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, another one for me. I'll make you an offer. Is well, you want it? Yeah, you can buy it off me if you want. Please, mm, six, six pounds. Six pounds, please. Um, bikes in general. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't do this anymore. However, a few years back, I, I basically used to change my bike continuously. Mm. Um, I, I used to very much be a shiny, shiny person. I never, ever bought like super high-end bikes. I would usually, well, you, you know the bikes. I, I would always have a very well-respected alloy frame and then all of my finishing kit. I'd have a top-end finishing kit, top-end group set, parkour's wheels, and I would just basically move that from frame to frame to frame to frame to frame. You honestly and, did about six. And losing a bit of money every single time. <laughs> but I had like a new bike every, sing, every time I want. I've, had, I've probably had like four cyclocross bikes slash gravel bikes, like one a year. And then I've probably had two road bikes a year. And then I would like rotate my road bike rotate my winter road bike, which had would have had mudguards on it and just kept changing them for just absolutely no reason whatsoever. In hindsight, and what I've learned definitely from us doing some of the entry-level stuff that's around at the minute, I wouldn't buy a bike that was specced at the level I used to have a bike. you get away with a lot cheaper. I would, I would spend less money and I would be like, this bike's sick and be comfortable with that and enjoy that. You could still change stuff. I think changing st- it's it's because it's new and fresh and interesting, and the the act of changing things, whether it's on a bike or a guitar. I do this on like I've got a Les Paul, and I constantly put the tremolo arm on, like this vibramate thing, mm-hmm. which you know, like whammy bar, and then scratch plate on, and then I'm like, no, no scratch plate, and then I'm like, oh no, eleven gauge strings and things like that, and just change you just. But changing it then makes me want to play it yeah. for another month. And then I'll make a few changes. Is it, that's part of the journey and part of the hobby, so, I think. So, so same what, with bikes as well. Like, so basically, oh, try this chainring. Try this combination of gears. It's arguably a subscription model. Then is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess so. there, that's how you want to. Effectively, a variable monthly fee. That's how you want to look at it. Yeah. Said product. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ongoing thing. Tinkering is just as fun as it's fun. riding a bike. Yes, it's like, fun, but it's also very expensive. Yeah, only if you you stop buying such expensive stems, buy cheap stuff. Well, I don't buy anything anymore. I'm content with my collection. Good. Apart from my dropper post. Right. What else have you got for the list? <laughs> I've got this. Is a, this one is a problem? What mini pumps and little saddlebags, and then the more bikes you get, you re, 
even though it's a very quick job switching a saddlebag to another bike. You just don't want to do no, it. No, you do don't want to do it. No, and then when you've got the saddlebag, guess what? You need to always have it filled as well. So mm. you need multi-tool. a little multi-tool and a little like uh, tubeless plug thing in each yeah. of them, all matching because you want the good one. You know, the latest one you've discovered. And then you need all of the, so multiples of each. The mini pump thing has the get a little mini uh, frame pump that attaches underneath your bottle cage. And that's great. And then you need one for all your bikes. But then what if you lose the little clamp thing? You can't just buy that on its own because it's almost the price of a pump. So you might as well buy a whole new pump and have a spare pump. Before you know it, you have 20 pumps in your house. On the subject of one per bike, I think we are an anomaly for that. I don't think most cyclists do that. I think we are just the kind of person, like I want to be able to just grab any one of my bikes and not have to be like, oh, does it have this? And does it have that? It just needs to be ready to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think we're an anomaly. But I think we should ask our listeners slash viewers, do they do that as well? Do (laughs) you have one set of spares that you switch between bikes or do you have a set of spares for every single bike that you have just ready to go? I imagine most people will be normal people and just have one bike. Um, I have one last entry. Yeah. uh, And it's kind of in the same vein as stems. It's like things that you don't know what they're going to be like until you use them. Shoes. Mm. I have wasted money on a lot of shoes. Most notably, uh, I very foolishly bought a 400 euro (laughs) pair of full carbon dancing shoes pretty much that I don't even, I'm not even sure why. I like the look of them. They look like super bougie. They're like black carbon and like shiny gold and they're just so over the top. And I was just like, oh, there's just something a little bit, a little bit bang about them. And I like the idea of black bike, black everything, but then these black shoes with little pings of like shiny gold on them. And I have ridden them once on the road with you and once on the turbo and they are so hideously uncomfortable they have been put to the side you don't um, think they're going to get better well they're, they're proper proper they're carbon not, shoes not moldable there's, nothing there's no well can you, you put can, them in the oven you can mold them which i haven't I, done yet yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna do it with uh hazel childs who is the greatest podiatrist in the world mm. who's going to hopefully make them fit my feet better yeah yeah but they're just like, they're so carbon and aggressive that like, they like, oh, they just- they're Do they dig in in places? Is everywhere. that what? See, that's what- Everywhere. I, I had a pair of lakes and they were very harsh to start with, even after molding them. Uh, but then it turns out the places that were digging in, you can literally mold them like three or four times, I think, that is the, is the limit. Yeah. Probably can do it more. Uh, I put them in again and then I just- put my finger where yeah. it was digging in and you just, I molded that bit out. And on they on were the inside of them, is there like padding? No, or is it's it just carbon. Bare carbon. Yeah, yeah it's just carbon. Cause, cause you, do you remember Bradley Wiggins had a pair of like carbon shoes back in the like Team GB days mm. where they were just like, it was like a, a, a custom, carbon thing. It, that's basically what these are. They're just like yeah, yeah. carbon. I guess it's another example of when you're racing, you're, you're prepared to be in discomfort. Well, yeah, that that is ultimately it. A lot of people are. People are like, uh, James always says it, um, bike fitter, friend of ours. He, it always surprises him, still to this day surprises him how prepared people are or how tolerant people are to being in pain on a bike. Because mm. they really, people just dig in and deal with it. Focusing on performance. Focusing on well, thinking not, that's going to get Yeah, I guess uh, ignorance is bliss in a lot of situations. But your example is a perfect example of fit first, buy later. And that goes for shoes as well. Yeah, but you can't if it's, if it's an online brand, can you? Uh, you should 
Well, well online, online only. Mm. You can't buy them in bike shops at all. No. Then yes, avoid them or return them. Yeah, it was complicated. <laughs> they had, they were like on the verge of launching. Right. And I was, and I, it just got complicated. Yeah. If you're struggling with shoes, there are shops out there that will fit shoes for you. So maybe look into that and it might save you money, but it's an expensive thing in the first place. So mm-hmm. it's, it is difficult. It is difficult. Time for another round of overrated or underrated. I'm going to read out a list of things and you're going to tell me if they're overrated or underrated. Cyclocross. Underrated. Agreed. It is the best. Awesome. The best form of bike racing there is. Yep. From the vibe. It's a good from vibe. From the experience. Yep. The, the bikes are cool because mm-hmm. you can ride them everywhere. It's just good, isn't it? Uh, apparently, uh, well... Every time I talk about cyclocross in the Northeast, it tells me that, uh, actually, I probably shouldn't. Can we bleep out that name? Uh, bleep tells me that uh, it's very elitist up here and it's very clicky and they're very old-fashioned and if you do things in a certain way, they get miserable with you, which is not in line with cyclocross. But I think this is more about bleep than it is about the cyclocross people in the um, Northeast. Potentially. Do you reckon bleep sometimes rubs people up the wrong way? All the time. Yeah. Um, I used to race cyclocross in the London space and it was class. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's such a good like winter thing. Yes, it's cold. Yes, it's muddy. But like, it's just a great way of smashing yourself through winter and having a good time or not smashing yourself. Like it's, it's like many things in a mass participation event, which essentially is there's that very small percentage at the front who are like, I'm might win this so i'm going to be really serious but the rest of the field it's just like having a good time and like yes people are racing hard and like pushing themselves but it's like clearly if you're doing a cyclocross race and you're not in the top if you're not podiuming then you're doing it because you love it and that's what's great about cyclocross that's what most people are doing yeah i imagine it is very stressful and potentially overrated for the people who are getting top five top ten because at that at that point you need two bikes. You need a person in the pits. A jet wash. Jet washing in your the stuff. Pits. So, so you can switch bikes if it gets too muddy. Uh, of course, there are some races which aren't muddy, which are g- probably great fun. But it's a lot of logistics, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, very good. And a lot of the riders who have entered road cycling with a cyclocross background end up being absolute hitters. So there's mm-hmm. potentially a lot to be said for smashing yourself for an hour in a muddy field. I tell in you terms what, of training. I, just last last note on cyclocross. Um, I went into cyclocross having being a road cyclist, and literally within two races, you learn so much about handling a bike. It is insane. Mm-hmm. Like you do a couple of seasons of cyclocross, and you will just be phenomenal at handling a bike. Phenomenal, because you have to. And the tires are small. They don't have to be though. Only if you're being competitive. Really? Yeah. They, you, can, they, you can use any bike you want. Oh, they let you in depending yeah, yeah. on the... Well, okay, it's not like a sanctioned event or anything. Triathlon. Overrated. <laughs> I feel like I can't say... My experience of triathlon has been filming people from afar at the Ironman World Champs mm-hmm. and then doing a triathlon, fake triathlon, <laughs> with the professional triathletes um, at their race pace for Ironman. And I have a newfound respect for them. Oh yeah, the top end of triathlon, like yeah, like it's 
bonkers. Yeah. The bike bit was fine, but I've ridden the bike a lot. Running and swimming. I don't think I could ever, ever reach that pace. No, you wouldn't. Even for half the duration. Specifically the two that you've highlighted. The the, The top end at swimming, they're like borderline, like could be dead, just swimmers. And the runners could be just runners. It's bonkers. Yeah. Is it two and a half hour marathon? Oh, or two no, two hours know. four. I think it was two two hours forty. Right. Uh, the guy was going for bonkers. Off the like. off the back of having already done five hours of exercise at absolutely yeah. top end. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's wild. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I think it's overrated because it's all about money. Arrow. Just, just or just the whole everything. thing. Everything like to enter an Ironman is probably like a thousand pounds or something rather, just for like the entrance fee. I think it's like five hundred, six hundred quid. You know, if you like, want to do the World Champs one, it's getting to Hawaii. Well, but you can't just turn up and do it. You have to qualify for right, it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you have to qualify it by doing other Ironman events, which will be all in a couple of grand a pop. That excludes all of your equipment, which inevitably to be at that level, you have to spend a furious amount of money. It's like I, I just, I just. It's a great sport, but I just think it's overrated. Mm. Um, I also despise swimming with a passion so much. <laughs> so I despise it. Duathlon, I really like. Yeah. And that is underrated because if, if, if people just go like, well, what's the point? What, what's the what, point in what, a, a run, duathlon? Uh, run, bike, run. Run, bike, run. Okay. I've done a couple of those and I love them. That is There's a, a Box me. Hill one of those. Is uh, that right? I, I think know. there is. It's like laps of Box Hill on a, and it's a run by run. Yeah. Horrible. Run by run. Probably quite fun, but horrible. Type two fun. Park run. Unbelievably underrated. Do you reckon? Yeah. Park run is one of the greatest things ever created. What is it? So it originally started in Bushy Park, actually. So right next to so the first ever park run was just around the corner from your neck of the woods. Why are you looking at me like that? You're like, what, where, what, what? I was listening to you oh. intently. All right. I, was, I, I thought you were pr- like going to say something. I was actually, well, I was actually, do you want to know what I was thinking in my head? Yes, I was thinking, where's Bushy Park? <laughs> do you, do you do know now? <laughs> I haven't lived there for two and a half years. Okay, I've forgotten yeah. which one Bushy Park was. <laughs> Bushy Park. So the, yeah, the first <laughs> one was in Bushy Park. Um, it is essentially a free five kilometer run every single Saturday morning at 9am, at thousands of locations all around the world. You don't have to pay. You don't have to register. Uh, sorry, you don't have to... Um, well, technically, you don't have to register. You, you register once when you create an account. You get a barcode. That's the only thing you need when you go and do a park run anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. So you turn up. It'll be 9 o'clock. You run your event. When you finish, they give you a little another barcode. You then go to someone, scans both of them, and that gives you a time and a place. They're not races, but you can race them. It's kind of like a sportif in that respect. The front end are phenomenal athletes that are racing, um, but it's a it's like a micro running event. Mm-hmm. The majority of people there, just like the cyclocross, for example, you know, the, there's that one percent at the front which are like, right, I want to win this, and everyone else is like, I want to be fitter, I want to be healthier, I'm committing to something so that. I get better over time um, and have that focus. And I loved it when I started getting into running and triathlon and everything because it was just a really good benchmark. Every Saturday I knew I was going to go to Hackney Marshes Park Run and just beat myself up uh, or inevitably uh, chase 
one of my mates who you know, Ben Wickham, who is a phenomenal athlete and triathlete. And I used to just literally, his his PB is two minutes quicker than mine. Hackney Marshes used to be an out and back. What's, so, your, what's your fastest ever 5K? Uh, 1828. Okay. It's quite fast. Yeah, it's very fast. Mm. But the people I used to run with would be running 16 minutes. So I so even when I was running 18 minutes 28, I was like, I'm slow. I'm slow. I'm so much slower. How can mm. I be two minutes slower than my mates? Yeah, in term, like think of it in percentage. It it's is a, monstrous. That's so quick. But my time was was like top one percent of the country for five Ks, mm-hmm. which is like wild. So for example, Ben Wickham, one of my old running mates, visited us, funnily enough, this weekend, and we were like, Oh, that's actually let's go and do park run. Let's go and do my local park run. He's I like I haven't I don't know what shape he's in. We was like, you know, he's gonna go off at the front <laughs> and then I'm finishing my lap and all of a sudden he comes past me, first place, and then bloody wins it. Which was a reminder to me. I was thinking about this yesterday. It really shows because I always used to remember when I used to do this stuff that I was like, I'm not quick enough. I'm not quick enough. It's because I was hanging around with the wrong people. I was hanging around with people like Ben Wickham that can turn up at a park run and win it. Without and, and me thinking like, doing why, any training. why am I not like these people? Why, why, why are they so much faster than me? It's because they are an anomaly. They are like as elite as you can be as a person without actually being like a professional runner. Next up is listeners takeover. And we have a question from Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hi, Francis and Jimmy. I'm looking at getting into gravel riding for fun. And the bike I am most interested in comes with a few group set options. Do I go for Shimano GRX 800, 1x11, 1142 cassette with mechanical shifting or the SRAM rival Mullet 1x12, 1150 cassette and wireless shifting? The SRAM is about $500 more than the Shimano. People online have said that the GRX should be better in terms of durability and build quality, but the SRAM setup has wider gear range, which could be helpful for someone who's only just getting into more hardcore cycling. Although I don't live in a very hilly area. Uh, I wouldn't say that SRAM is more durable and has better build quality than GRX. No, they said the GRX is better build quality. Oh, right. I wouldn't say it's better build. I'd say they're about the same. I would... I'd probably guess the GRX is more durable because it's not electronic. Surely it's going to be more durable because it's just simpler. Oh, it's fully mechanical. Yeah, yeah, fully mm. mechanical. I think so. That's SRAM, a lot of money difference. That's a big, that's like a huge chunk of money, $500. SRAM ETAP is a luxury. You do not need electric gears at all. You just don't. For me, the most important thing on any bike, but even more so on a gravel adventure bike, is gear range. I would always go for the widest gear range possible, but I wouldn't stretch myself so much financially that that was... uh, Ultimately, I wouldn't throw money away to get an extra tooth, for example. Um, It would be good to know what chain rings this is coming with. Because if that Shimano GRX is coming with like a 42 chain ring and you've got 1142 cassette, that's a pretty sick gear range. And I would save the 500 quid. Mm, that's a lot of money off. If you, if you do, if you're not fussed about spending the extra money, I would say if your riding is what we were talking about earlier, it is not really gravel and it's mud and your bikes get absolutely caked in shit, then the electric shifting is better because it's so much less effort from you to to change the gears and yeah. everything's getting like all well, the cables are getting 
clogged up with crap. No, it is it's a great product. That is a good that is that is actually quite an I've interesting argument had, for it. I, it's always been I've always had that in the back of my head. Oh, the Shimano is engineered better, it's more reliable. However, we've been I've been pretty much exclusively riding SRAM group sets over the last year. Did it I rode across America on it, zero problems. And I put my bike through quite a lot. I've had mech hangers bending, I've had all sorts, and derailleur is still in perfect condition. Everything shifts crisp. I think I think in this scenario, I would go with the GRX as long as the gear ratios were to my liking. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've ridden that GRX group set. I've, I have a rival group set. They're both very good. That's my take on it. Mm. Anything else to add? Nothing to add. Okay, cool. Both would be fantastic choices. I hope you choose wisely, Nathan. Sorry for sitting on the fence. If you've got any questions or a story, please send it to wildonespodcast at cademedia.co.uk. That's all for this episode. And before you go, if you like this episode, please consider subscribing, following, or leaving us a review. It helps us grow the channel and allows you to bring, allows you, allows us to bring you more stuff like this. Thank you and goodbye. Wild Ones, Wild Ones, Wild Ones podcast. Matt, please send us an outro. Thanks. Wild Ones. Wild ones Stop Jimmy from doing this. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.